morning we're starting a new series called uh, Living a Life of Impact. And uh, the idea is that we serve a God who created us in a way, and we are involved in a community that is to be uh, a community of grace and love and a community of action. And so God would somehow change us in a way that's so radical that we would not think so much about ourselves, but we would begin to think about each other and then uh, uh, the world around us, and that we would live in such a way that people would take notice and that we would be able to impact the world around us. We all know people, or we've all seen people who've had an impact on, on those around them. I was talking first service about Mother Teresa and all that. And when you look at people's lives like that, that have had an incredible impact, there are certain things that, that are unique, or I'm sorry, that are common in all of them. The first is that they've gone through great sacrifice. There's a sense that there's a, there's a purpose bigger than themselves, and that's the purpose they're, 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 they're shooting for. And so it's not, I'm going to have a life of impact just because I want to have a life of impact. But there's something I'm so passionate about that I want to move out and see that happen. That whatever injustice that is, I want to see it done. Whatever need there is, I want to see it fulfilled. The other thing is, people who've had amazing impacts in, in our lives and in society and in culture never knew at the time they were doing it just how big their impact was going to be. I guarantee you Mother Teresa didn't go, you know what, someday the name Mother Teresa is going to be said from every household around the world. She was just doing what God had created her to do, and during the time she was doing it, she did not realize how big of an impact she was, she was having or she, that she was going to have. And so as we look at that, and we look at kind of our own lives, and we look at the fact that we are not serving a kingdom of this earth, but a kingdom of heaven. Imagine how great the impact your life can make on the kingdom. And what we're doing this morning is we have our small group leaders all around us, and um, they're going to be sharing. I'm going to share a story real quick, and then they're going to share about their small groups and what is in each one. And then we're going to talk about just the kind of damage we can do as a church if we're in community together. I want to read a story from my friend Paul, who's a missionary in Indonesia, and he sent this out this week. Um, Paul was the one that came here um, a, a few months ago, and uh, I interviewed him on, um, on his book. And uh, he wrote this. He has a blog called Faith Activators, and if you want to uh, go to faithactivator.com, you can see uh, his blog there. But uh, it's called, do you, know what true, uh, do you Know True Love When You See It? Here's what he writes. For centuries, the people living in villages clustered around the south coast of Java, Indonesia, have lived in terror of the legendary queen goddess of the South Sea. Her magnificent beaches offer some of the most picturesque white sand on the planet. Her waters are no place to frolic. Encounters with great white sharks are commonplace. Coral reefs abound with poisonous snakes. Unpredictable currents, thunderous 20-foot waves... And merciless riptides kill dozens of unsuspecting and naive swimmers every year. Mention to virtually anyone in Java that you are visiting the south coast and you will hear the inevitable warning. Look, but don't touch. Never go in the water. Clearly aware of the menace posed by the ocean, Isak Timoteos arrived with his wife Ruthie, their five children, and a few family friends on the remote south coast beach last Friday morning. He parked, reminded his children not to go near the water, 
and walked onto the beach to find a shady place to enjoy a breezy day together. Suddenly, Timo noticed a group of people standing along the shore. Three young women had been swept into the waves and were screaming for help. Timo never hesitated. He shouted to a teenager, run to the village and get a canoe. Find someone to get, come get us. And to another, he shouted, make sure my children stay away from the water. With that, Timo, who was a strong swimmer, sprinted to the water and dove into the waves to save the lives of three complete strangers. Another man, who was engaged to be married to one of the young women in the water, followed after him. From this point, it's not clear exactly how the next hour unfolded. Villagers ran onto the beach but vowed they would not go in the dangerous water. Two of the three women were saved. But Timo, the other man, and his fiancée, exhausted from battling the riptides, were sucked under and drowned in the waves. A half hour later, their bodies washed ashore. The news of Timo's drowning sent shockwaves through our city over the weekend. Not a person was surprised that Timo would unhesitatingly risk his life on behalf of others. After all, he made a habit of sacrificing himself on behalf of others. A decade earlier, Timo felt the call to resign from his prestigious position as a high-level manager in a pharmaceutical company to devote his life to full-time youth ministry, passionately burdened to win souls of the youth uh, to Christ. Timo sold his house, entered seminary, and led his wife and children on a journey of faith. Living on the edge of poverty, Timo devoted himself to sharing the gospel with teenagers, offering counseling and doing everything in his power to serve them. Over the next decade, Timo's name became frequently mentioned in the testimonies of hundreds of people. The day I was introduced to him, I immediately sensed there was um, a man I wanted to emulate. His humility was so refreshing. His passion to seek and save the lost was radical. Inspired by his relentless determination to serve youth, I decided that I would do all I could to support his dreams. Mustard Seed joined Timotheus. Mustard Seed is the name of the organization that Paul's with. Mustard Seed joined with Timotheus to open the Melang Youth Center, or MYC. Over the years, MYC has impacted the lives of hundreds of teenagers from 11 high schools in our city. The ministry offers counseling for youth, outreach programs, evangelistic events, and intensive discipleship. Last Wednesday, I met with the staff of MYC for one of our weekly leadership training sessions. We studied Acts 20. In this passage, get this, the Apostle Paul meets with the elders in Ephesus for the last time. Upon hearing that they will no longer see him, the elders fell on his neck and wept. I shared with the leaders that love is the basis for all Christian ministry. I asked them to take a few minutes to ponder the question, if the youth that you are serving heard they would never see you again, would they shrug their shoulders or fall on your neck weeping? That conversation was the last time I would ever see Timo alive on this earth. In my heart, the theme of the Bible study holds near prophetic significance. Not just dozens, but hundreds of youth or adults who had been impacted as youth are weeping for his loss. I was asked to preach at Timo's funeral last night. It was one of the most difficult messages I had ever given. How could my words possibly capture the limitless and enduring impact of this man's amazing life? In my talk, I pondered the question, in the echoes of his death, what would Tim, uh, Timotheus ask of you and me? I'm convinced that he would ask us to repent and follow Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He would ask us to carry on his ministry to youth. And he would say, most certainly, he'd ask us to take care of his beloved Ruthie and their five children, Sasha, Noel, Justin, Theo, and Paul. Here's a guy who didn't set out to say, I want a life of impact. He didn't set out to go, 
you know what? Who's going to remember the name Timo? God just put something in his heart that I think is in all of our hearts. That there's something more to life than just ourselves. It can't be that we just go through life comfortable, eating, drinking, retiring, and dying. See, I think in all of us, we know that we're to have a life of impact. And, and, and by impact, I don't even mean numbers, but that we deeply, if we're parents, we deeply impact our kids. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's what we're doing. I mean, maybe that's right for right now where you're at, that's your total struggle. I mean, that's just the thing. Or, or maybe it goes a little farther than that and you impact your family and then you've got your neighbors around you or the people you work with or if you're in school, the people you go to school with, the, the person that's in the locker right next to your locker. Well, the, the Bible talks about this and it gives us some hints in Philippians. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read just a couple verses and talk about them and then we're going to hear from the small group leaders uh, about how uh, God is impacting their lives and how they... Uh, want their small group to impact others. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul gives just an amazing command, really, to us that's very difficult to follow through with. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as better than yourselves. I'm going to read it again because it's not up there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. See, the beginning part of having a life of impact is to realize that there are people worth impacting. And and here's the thing I want to, I'll give us our, the, the thing we have at the top of our notes. Here's what I wrote down. In order to have an impact on others, I have to allow God to impact me. In order to have an impact on others, I have to allow God to impact me because it's not natural for me to think of others first. That, that's not my flesh. That's the Spirit of God. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. See, God wants to do a work in us as a church that we would love others more than ourselves whether that be the people sitting next to you in, in the chair or your, your family or whatever. If you're a student, maybe it's, you start thinking more of your parents. Imagine that. Um, okay, no, right? And, and uh, so do nothing. Now listen, this word humility is awesome. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. This word humility, Paul doesn't have, there's not, when the Bible was written, it was written in Greek, Okay? So the, the first manuscripts we have are Greek. And so what, it's hard for scholars. Sometimes they'll come to a word and they read it in the Greek and they got to figure out what is it. And so what they'll do is they'll look at other writings that they have from the Bible, but they'll also look at other secular writings from that time to understand what, what is this word that Paul's using. There, there is no word for humility. Paul had to invent a word. He had to put two words together lowness of mind. You have to think less. A humility of mind is what the New American Standard says. But this word for humility, the Greek uh, and Roman 
uh, cultures didn't have a word for it. It was not something to seek. You didn't seek after humility. You sought after self-promotion. And so this was an entirely new uh, thing in the Greek. Now imagine this. That word, so Paul uses it there, and he uses it in a couple other places. It's not until 200 years later that you begin to see it in secular writings, this word that Paul invented. And when it was first used, it was used as a mockery. It just didn't make sense against Christians. Like, oh yeah, those guys are the, yeah, the hu- humility people or whatever. And then all of a sudden, they began to realize that, man, maybe there is something to this. Maybe there is something to serving others. Maybe God has placed this in us for a reason. Maybe we've actually been created for this. And so it's just fascinating that Paul uses a word that doesn't even exist, trying to get this across. And so in verse 4, it says this, Each of you should not look, I keep doing this, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What we have this morning surrounding us is uh, a bunch of small group leaders who are looking not after their own interests, but the interests of others. Uh, I know all these leaders, and they truly want to see God's radical transforming power happen in their small groups. Uh, none, of, none of them, their goal is, you know, I really at the end of the year want 100 people in here. They want to just see life change. If it's 100, great. If it's not, they want to see life change. God has impacted them. And now they want to impact others. So what we're going to do, and as a matter of fact, we're going to do something a little different this time. I'm going to take my microphone off and just kind of, we can pass this around so that everyone can be heard. But they're going to just mention when their small group is, what it's all about, who they are, and then uh, when it, we'll get the mic back. As you can see, there's a, uh, a lot of people who are impacting the world around them. And... Uh, The thing to understand about small groups is it's not just the people leading it that are making the impact. If you were to go through these these leaders and you were to ask them about what they like about their group, almost, I'm sure all of them would talk about what is offered by the people who attend small groups. Because what happens in a small group is the Spirit of God moves. It's not just a Bible study. It's not just we get together and, I mean, good night, you guys eat a lot. But that's beside the whole point. No, no. No, that's the fun part, is that when, when we were designed to be a family, this church is designed to be a family, and on a Sunday morning, we really can't be that much. The way Sunday morning is designed, uh, there's just, we can't fellowship with everybody. We can't, so the small group is where, where we get to really find out about what's going on in our lives. We really get to support each other. We get to really um, kind of live out what we learn on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a celebration of what God is doing in our community and in our lives. And then the week hits and we have six days that we're not here. And that's where real, real ministry takes place. I want to very quickly just finish up the rest of this, um, these verses and kind of see the way that Paul lays out. If we're, gonna, if we're not going to be looking after our own particular interests, but also the interests of others, and if we're to, to look with humility of mind, what, what does that look like? Well, Paul goes on in verse 4, and he says, basically, this starts with your attitude. This starts with a shift in your mind that maybe this isn't all about me. Maybe I can kind of change my world a little bit to realize that I'm here for somebody else. And watch what he says. He says, your attitude, this is verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 
That's the attitude I need to have. The same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto. In other words, here Jesus is just in an awesome situation. An awesome situation. He's God. It's the Trinity. They're together communing however the Trinity communes with itself. I don't get all that. But it's a gl- it was happening for all eternity prior, and it'll happen for all eternity from here on out. But for some reason, he says, you know what? We're going to make a shift. Now, listen, I don't know if you've ever been that way in your life where just everything's going great, and all of a sudden God says, I don't want you to grasp onto that. I don't want you to hold on. I want you to make a change. Serve in a small group or go to a small group. And one of the reasons why we have these, our small groups are, some small groups are six weeks long. And then others go on. But the commitment you're making is just for six weeks. So if you go to Rick's class on Thursday, or Rick's uh, small group on Thursday at his house, that's been going on for months and will continue to go on for months. But you sign up and you go, look, I'll give it a shot for six weeks and see what happens. I guarantee you, God is going to begin to do something in your heart. You're going to see your life used in a way that maybe it hasn't been used before. So it starts with this attitude. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who said, you know what? Everything's going great, but we need to make a shift for a bigger picture. And then there's this process. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. See, when God became man in Jesus Christ, he didn't just become man and live in a castle or live in... He became man and then served. It's like a double whammy. For God to become man was, was, should have been enough. I mean, think about it. You're God and then you have to go through all the things that a person has to go through. All the inconveniences and all that kind of stuff. Yet he does that. And then he takes the role of a servant beyond that. He has this process of, of this, this maturity. He, and he, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. When I read verses like this, I have to ask myself, what is my perspective? I was telling first service about this story when I got out of college. I I went to work for this company that I ended up working for for 16 years. And when I first got there, there was this guy named Gabe. And Gabe gave the impression that there was only room enough in in the company for one of us. And so he, he started, he said, he, he told me that I was brought on and then it was going to be a, one of us was going to go in like three months. I, we had just gotten married. I didn't know anything. I was just, it's like scared me. So I started just this process of just this inner turmoil of going, I've got to succeed. I've got to make this happen. It's between me and Gabe. And I started hating Gabe. If Gabe succeeded, I, that was a failure to me. And if I succeeded, it wasn't enough. It had to be better than Gabe. Now, this was a lie. First of all, our company isn't even set up that way. It wasn't the case at all. But, but I began to allow my flesh. I began to think, I'm here on earth for me, and if I don't take care of me, something's going to happen. So 
I would come home and I would talk about Gabe. You remember that? All the time, every day, I talk about Gabe. Oh, oh God. And I don't know if you're in a situation like this at work where you come home and you're like your spouse knows, you know, if you're happy, they were sick that day and weren't in. And if you're, I don't know if you've ever been through this, but I began to, and it, it began to eat away at me. And Lisa told me one day, she said, Gabe's probably not going to change. And one of you has to change. So it should probably be you. So I started this process of trying to humble myself, and I just was horrible at it. I'd, be good, I'd get to work, and I'd be like, okay, this is the day. I'm going to have a great attitude, have a great attitude, have a great attitude. I'd walk in, and Gabe would be like, you know, you're still here? And I'm like, you little, you know, I just like, Ugh! and I, I'd fail. Sometimes I'd make it like longer, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I've been set free. And then I, by two in the afternoon, I'm just like, Gabe, right? You know, it took me a year and a half of God disciplining me and telling me, you're blowing it, you're blowing it, you're blowing it. And then I was set free. And there wasn't anything Gabe could do. There wasn't anything. I was set free. And here's the thing. I had to make, I had to rejoice in his blessing. If he, something happened great with Gabe, I had to literally make myself nothing and try to serve him. And it was impossible for me to do on my own. God had to just keep strengthening me and strengthening me and strengthening me. Because here's what happens. This last point is just Christ followed through. I mean, I mean, he followed through. Okay, keep in mind, he was by very nature God. And he wanted to enter, God wanted a relationship with us, so he sends Jesus, that part of the Trinity, to take the form of man and to become a servant and to every day, every minute, live a life of holiness and just keep serving and serving and serving. And it goes on, it says, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were gabe to him, he died for us. That is the thing. Small groups is, the, is one of the most fertile grounds for this to take place, for us to walk through things with each other. And some of you are going, you know, you know I don't, there's no way I'm sharing. If they knew what was going on in my life, they would kick. I know every one of these small group leaders, and just the opposite's true. If you're hurting, they will see you through it. And if you're not hurting, you are invaluable to people who are. 